Ah, here we go. Broadcasting to you from the great state of Oklahoma, this is Raw Tools. I'm Luke Slayball, your host. Thanks for tuning in wherever you may be. I'm here in my sports kitchen. All the memorabilia have been set here for a while. We've got Alexa Ross coming on, newest member of the Indianapolis sports media. And then former WBIR sports director Patrick Murray, longtime co-worker and friend of mine. He is now killing it for Stadium Network and ESPN Plus down in Miami, Florida, his hometown. Really great lineup of guests for week one. Angel investor Naval Ravikant once said, you should only work with people you see yourself working with for life. Don't spend all your time with someone who's always demanding of you, who's disrespectful of you, or who just outright wants to exploit you. You want to invest in someone who invests with you and create a positive, sustainable working relationship. And that, in essence, is what I found with Tyler Jones. Tyler's the best. He's been unwavering in his belief in me these past several months. Uh, He's industrious one of the most prolific people I've ever met. And really, without his podcast, The Jones Report, I would never have really crossed paths with him at all. Back when he was doing radio in Kansas, we uh, crossed paths very briefly at a KU game. And ever since then, it's been a, a really positive, I would say important relationship that I value in my life. I know for a fact that Tyler is going higher places and places I couldn't go on my own. He's talented yet he's humble, he's hilarious, and like I said, he's a great friend. So it's really an honor to work alongside him with Studio Soapbox Network. What is the point of Raw Tools? We're in an era where everyone and their mother has their own podcast, so what's going to set this one apart? In any media format, whether it's television show, a podcast, or a newscast, a local newscast, I really hate people who put themselves into a box and put other people into a box. Obviously, the point of this show is to entertain, be a part of your day, give sports hot takes, but I really want to focus on the guests here, have a wide variety of diverse and entertaining guests who add value to this show, and and we're not going to stick to sports. The subject matter will... There are so many more things to life, whether it's music pop culture, philosophy. I already threw an angel investor quote in there. (laughs) Business, if we want to get that deep. Really, I've always put myself in the state of mind that I would interview anyone, anyone and everyone who was interesting that I thought was a unique get. And I've been blessed in my career to talk to all sorts of people. Uh, Billy Bob Thornton and his band, the Boxmasters, when they were on tour in Knoxville, actually staying at the the Margaritaville Hotel down there, uh, Gatlinburg Pigeon Forge area. I love that. I'll do that nine times out of ten. Ten times out of ten. What am I thinking? Uh, It's going to be random. It's going to be off the wall stuff. I'm really looking forward to it. And I'm in my sports kitchen right now, as I mentioned, this little one-bedroom apartment in Oklahoma. But we'll travel. Uh, I'm a traveler. We'll take you to St. Louis, Chicago, Miami, New York City, Washington, D.C. Just had one of my best friends move to the D.C. area. It's going to be raw, unfiltered fun. And I use that word raw genuinely. If you've made it this far, uh, happy to have you on board. And that was the monologue. 
dozens of you have asked me to talk about the Spencer Rattler thing, so we're going to talk about the Spencer Rattler thing. Three weeks ago on TikTok, after OU fans called for their quarterback's head during the West Virginia game, I said, Benching him is f- stupid. At the time, it was justified. The Sooners were en route to winning 13 games in a row with Rattler starting. Things change. And benching him against Texas during Red River was the right call. Caleb Williams established himself as the starter, and there's no looking back. Consider this my mea culpa. I was wrong. However, things can also change. You take a look at OU's schedule the next three weeks, Kansas, Texas Tech, there is plenty of time for Rattler to get back on the wagon. And this can be a win-win for everyone. Caleb Williams gets his reps. You can help Rattler retain his NFL draft value, maybe even boost it. And you increase OU's national title chances. They're still very much in the picture. So you get a 14-17 point lead against Kansas. No questions asked. Rattler should be in that game. Absolutely. And Lincoln Riley knows this. Let it all play out. And by the way, if you comment, Oh, this aged poorly on someone's video and it's been more than five hours, you're being a fool. Don't be a dick on the internet. My first guest is someone who's very special to me. What he's meant to me in my career as a mentor, as a role model, as a friend, is beyond words. In my time in local news, I had as many sports directors as Harry Potter had Defense Against the Dark Arts teachers, but none taught me more than one Patrick Murray. He was an excellent photographer and on-air talent when I met him as the sports director at WBIR-TV in Knoxville, Tennessee. We covered the Vols together. You know him now as a college football analyst and color commentator for ESPN+, specifically with Florida International University. He's also part of the FIU Radio Network. He is a wonderful person. Glad to have him on as my first guest, a man who needs no further introduction, Patrick Murray. Pat, how are you? I'm doing great, Luke. Thank you for that inter- introduction. That was fantastic. Happy that I had that kind of impact on you. And I love the Harry Potter reference as well. That, that was good. Yeah, Expelliarmus, man. I got a little bit short of breath there for a second just because... That was the foundation covering Butch Jones's tumultuous career there in Knoxville and then starting the Pruitt era. And honestly, I'm really happy that after three football seasons, you can still stand me. <laughs> yeah, I mean, those we went through some crazy times and that, that coaching search of 2017. I mean, going through something like that, I, I think you're bonded forever. So how about those Vols for a second? Did you throw any golf balls or mustard at your TV on Saturday night? I had a ketchup bottle, but I held on to it. I, 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 I refrained from throwing it. But yeah, I mean, that was, that was just crazy. And speaking of Tennessee, I mean, you know, talking about that coaching search, Tennessee is one of those places where all kinds of crazy stuff happens. And you just never know what's going to happen next. So that was just a, a one of those perfect Tennessee games where when you think something crazier cannot happen at Tennessee, it ends up happening. You just can't make this stuff up. And having Lane Kiffin in there obviously uh, added to that atmosphere. And so it was it was unfortunate to, to see all that happen. It was a little bit embarrassing for me as a uh, as a Tennessee grad to uh, to see the way some of the fans acted. But it was, it was definitely interesting to watch. I've witnessed this team play firsthand, and it seems like Tennessee, 
just is a few close calls away from being, you know, a five win team or close to a six win team. And they really haven't had a fully terrible game this season. What do you make of the Vols in 2021? Yeah, I think Josh Heupel has done an outstanding job. I mean, that roster that he took over was just decimated with all the guys that went to the transfer portal. I mean, they were, they were they lost, you know, four or five of their best players and so much more on the depth chart. Like, it was just a decimated roster. And for him to come in and the guys that he's brought in with Tyon Evans and different people from, from JUCO and different transfers and – yeah, I mean, they seem like they're really close. I mean, obviously, the, the reason for the, the outburst by some of the Tennessee fans on Saturday night was a couple of calls that were pretty ridiculous that had they gone the other way, Tennessee would have won that game and, and we're talking totally differently, especially that the fumble return touchdown. I mean, to me, I don't know how you I don't know how that's not a, a touchdown. Sticking with that strip sack fumble for a second, in my experience, SEC referees are very quick to blow the whistle on plays like that. When they see forward momentum is stopped, they'll blow it dead without letting that play go on. And so the fact that they didn't stop play and they let that fumble return touchdown go all the way, it seems so out of character for them to reverse it. It went against all expectations and you can't fault Tennessee fans for for feeling like the rug got pulled out from under them, right? Oh yeah, absolutely. I mean, they had a right to be mad about some of those calls and uh, definitely that, that uh, strip sack and fumble return touchdown. Yeah. Like you said, I don't see how you can let that play continue and then say, no, it, it was dead. And it, it was kind of a strange play in the fact that Matt Corral stopped before the defenders got to him. I, I don't know if he was trying to sell the play fake really well or, or what it was, but he stopped before the defenders got to him and then they get there and, rip the ball out and Tyler Barron returns it for a touchdown. So I don't know how you can say his forward progress was stopped when he wasn't going forward anyway. He's just kind of standing there and and it happened pretty quick. It wasn't like a, you know, two or three second thing where they've got him where they're holding on to him and he's trying to escape and he's not going anywhere. So yeah, I just thought that was a, a really strange play and not the right call. I was tuning in and out of that game Saturday night. I watched probably a couple of quarters total, but it seemed like there was a lot of that start-stop motion from the quarterback uh, before he hit the line of scrimmage, and it seemed like Tennessee did a really good job responding uh, at the line of scrimmage, and they kept that game relatively close throughout. What does that say about them being able to adapt to a top 15 opponent in year one? Yeah, I think think Tennessee is really close uh, to being – pretty good and could do some damage down the stretch, especially if Hendon Hooker is, is healthy because he's played really well for them at quarterback. And I think the defense, like you were mentioning, the defensive line, the defense has been really the surprising thing about Tennessee. Because With Josh Heupel coming in, we knew that the offense would put up some points and play fast, but the real question mark was the defense because Heupel's defense at UCF in 2020 was not good. And with all the guys, Henry Toho Toho and all the other guys that Tennessee lost on defense, going to the transfer portal and and whatnot, you didn't think that defense would be any good. And they have been so much better than expected. And they showed that against Ole Miss. I mean, holding them to to 31 points, that's a, you know, a high-flying offense. So they did a nice job. Other than the quarterback run, I mean, Corral was running all over them with the quarterback draws and the scrambles and stuff. But other than that, they they did a great job. You mentioned Hendon Hooker. That guy has a little bit of Josh Dobbs in him, I think. I, I really like that. Um, 
you had mentioned earlier the uh, 2017 Tennessee coaching search, and there is a meme related to the coaching search that you played a pivotal role in. I don't know if you want to go over this or not, but the John Gruden sightings, sightings, quote-unquote, in Knoxville during a homecoming, the game against Southern Miss. Do you want to walk us through that? Yeah, yeah. So I remember that well. Um, yeah, obviously during that coaching search, John Gruden was the guy that Tennessee fans wanted badly. Uh, it was talked about every single day. And then you know, right before that game, it was kind of, you know, rumors were kind of going around that uh, that Gruden was in Knoxville, that he was eating at Calhoun's, the local barbecue place. Really, I love that place. Um, and he was eating there. And there were, I think there were some other, you know, Tennessee celebrities tied into it. Like he was eating with Peyton Manning and whoever else. Um, so, yeah, that rumor was kind of flying around. And I have my college roommate works for Calhoun's and, you know, in that corporate structure of Calhoun's copper cellar and stuff, a bunch of different restaurants. And I, I can't remember exactly. I think he was working at that specific restaurant at the time. And so I had texted him and it was just kind of all, you know, crazy stuff that I don't know where that rumor started with whoever was at Calhoun's and, and then everyone had heard it. And so I had texted my old college roommate and he had kind of heard, he had heard that rumor too. He wasn't there. And it was kind of a miscommunication between us that I thought, you know, I should have asked him a little bit more about it. I was trying, I was like, oh man, maybe I can, you know, figure this out before we get, you know, if the game's about to start. I've got to get on the field to shoot this game. I'm like, oh, let me shoot off a text to my friend real quick. And then, so he was kind of like, yeah, I mean, that's what people are saying. And so I had kind of thought that he was there and had seen him and, and he, he wasn't, he said, uh, so anyway, I had tweeted out what, what the rumor was the rumor that other people were tweeting out that yeah john gruden's in knoxville he's eating at calhoun's but uh that ended up not being the case so i mean i was pretty embarrassed about that that i kind of that i kind of ran with that without um checking into it or asking more questions about it further but the timing of it really kind of got me because i'm like i gotta get out here and shoot this game on the field and i'm trying to figure this out and so i was like well he's saying yeah he saw he's he's heard that he was there so i went with it and so yeah and then Calhoun's ended up having to tweet out backtracking that later on and apologize that they started this rumor. So uh, that was just one of the many uh, crazy events of that coaching search. It was mass hysteria in Knoxville and just the, the, the Gruden worship, the, the groomers was out of control from day one. Uh, I, I don't get it partly because the he's one of us angle was so just a, a razor thin connection to Tennessee. And in retrospect, I mean, a great misfire on John Curry's part to not be a part of any of that, just given where John Gruden is today. Um, but you can't fault envisioning him and, and Peyton Manning getting some pretzel bites and queso and drinking some mountain light at Calhoun's on the river. I mean, that was, that was a staple of my time in Knoxville. So that is, that is something else. And I think he actually ended up ended up that he was in Seattle that that night or something. So it's like he could he couldn't have been even any further away from Knoxville than <laughs> Seattle. Uh, Patrick, not only a UT grad but a South Florida native, uh, follows the Miami Dolphins very closely. Uh, this is a an enigma of a team, just given the strong performance last year and the rebuild under Brian Flores. It seemed like Miami was destined to lock up one of those AFC playoff spots this year, but it has gone south in a hurry, losing five straight 
including to the Jacksonville Jaguars. What went wrong this offseason and early this season for Miami? Yeah, I've been really surprised because they last year they were better than expected and especially that defense under Brian Flores played really well and they you know they had so many draft picks. They stockpiled all those draft picks and you you thought they'd be able to to turn this thing around, but they've missed, just missed on so many of the draft picks, it seems, especially on the offensive line. I mean, the, it seems like the Dolphins' offensive line is the worst in the NFL right now, and uh, I think that's the the main issue is they have missed on or have had a hard time developing those guys that they've drafted along the O-line, and then, you know, Tua getting hurt and all that, and, it's, and Tua comes back and looked pretty good, I thought, against Jacksonville, but then they end up handing Urban Meyer his first NFL win. So, yeah, it's it's really gone <laughs> downhill, and I, I didn't see that coming. The holy trinity of downhill, John Gruden, Urban Meyer, and Ed Ogeron, and giving Urban some hope there is something else. Defense also been an issue for the Dolphins, giving up 6.4 yards per play in that loss to Jacksonville, and they haven't been able to hold multiple leads this season. If you're Chris Greer general manager of the Dolphins what do you do I think that I think Chris Greer his job may be in in danger too so it I don't know where they end up going I I mean there's a lot of people that want Flores fired too uh so we'll have to see yeah I don't know what they can do to fix it right now they spent so much money on that secondary and both of their top corners were out against Jacksonville and so they're I think they're just gonna have to you know, let it let it play through the season, see if they can develop somebody along the offensive line to get better, see if this defense improves, and then go from there in the offseason and, and see what changes have to be made. And this was a team a lot of people were praising just because they were so bold. Like in the draft, they traded up. They traded next year's draft pick to get Jalen Waddell. That hasn't panned out super well. Uh, since 1990, this is a note, 111 teams have started out 1-5, and five, only three have come back to make the playoffs. So is it fair to, to punt on this season if you're a Dolphins fan and, and look forward? I, I I don't blame anybody if they're if they're gonna punt on the season and look forward. I'm surprised I'm surprised to hear that that three teams made the playoffs uh <laughs> coming from one and five. I didn't think anybody had so that's a good stat. Um so I guess it is possible to uh to recover from it. But um yeah, I, if you want to punt on the season as a Dolphins fan, I'm not going to blame you for doing that. But I'd say hang in there and, you know, you don't – the one of the things that I always think about is you don't forget how to coach. Like Brian Flores has been a good defensive coach. He hasn't forgotten how to coach defense. So there's I figure out – I feel like he can at least get that defense figured out and get them playing better. And then in terms of the offense, if you can – you got to figure something out along the offensive line. I don't know if they're going to be able to fix that this season, but uh, we'll have to see. Maybe the defense can turn it around. Unstable team is going to be a a common thread in this conversation as you're a diehard New York Mets fan, and everything's up in the air with them in terms of looking for a new general manager, looking for a new manager. Which direction would you like them to go with their candidates? They seem to be interested in the, uh, you know, going the analytics route. They, I think Billy Bean was kind of their top target that they were going after. I don't know if that's going to happen. Theo has already said no, I think Theo Epstein. And um, so I think they want to go that, uh, that analytics route. And I'm, I'm good with that. Uh, I think that's, uh, 
you know, I think you have to have a balance of, you know, having analytics and having scouts and stuff like that. But um, yeah, I'm, I'm okay. If they, if they go that route and got to get some guys healthy, I mean, especially the pitching the, I mean, that's been the thing for the Mets the last half decade is they've had such high quality starting pitching, but you know, half the time, not everyone has been on the mound, whether it's DeGrom or Syndergaard or uh, letting Zach Wheeler walk, obviously it looks like a huge mistake uh, right now. So yeah, got to get, uh, definitely got to get DeGrom and Syndergaard healthy. And, and I think build around that and see where you go from there. I saw DeGrom pitch this summer. They were playing at Arizona, and I think he retired the first 15 in a row or something. It was maybe it was 13 or 14. It was in the fourth inning. I think he like lost a perfect game, but was just in awe of how all those tools just coalesced. He was also hitting really well, too. It was something out of this world. So you got a good foundation. Just got to get it healthy. Yeah, got, got to get those starting pitchers healthy. And quick story about uh, Jacob DeGrom. He, uh, I interned for this summer collegiate wood bat team called the Deland Suns. This was back in the summer of 2010. I was like one of their broadcasters and wrote for their website. And Jacob DeGrom was on that team for about two weeks. He was like, a, he played at Stetson University, which was right there in Deland. And he, uh, he played shortstop. He played a lot of shortstop. And yeah, I think he pitched a little bit. So, and the Mets drafted him in like the ninth round or something like that uh, as a pitcher. And he had mostly played shortstop and he was on this Deland Suns team for about two weeks. I don't think he even really played because he was getting ready for the draft. And so I think I met him like one time and, you know, didn't, you know, thought he was a good player, but didn't think much of it. And then uh, he gets drafted by the Mets. I'm like, Oh, that's cool. And then of course he ends up being, you know, rookie of the year, multiple Cy Young winner. So I'm like, wow, that's, that's pretty cool that I can say that I, knew him briefly back back when before anyone knew who knew who he was that's such an interesting point and a rewarding part about at least local broadcasting is we were covering the tennessee smokies i didn't think twice about for example a a david bodie well i thought he was just oh he might make the majors he might be like a utility player and then he's in a walk-off grand slam against the nationals a few years ago i was like wilson Contreras too yeah that that was pretty cool we were we were very blessed the Mets, just as a footnote, also turned down by the Brewers to interview David Stearns for their GM opening. So best of luck to the Mets. I know it's been a struggle, especially having been so close there in 2015. Pat, you've got a game coming up this weekend covering some Conference USA. Is that right? Yeah, we've got number 24 UTSA at Louisiana Tech out in Ruston, Louisiana this weekend. So I'm excited for that one. The, the Roadrunners of UTSA just jumped into the AP poll. It's their first ranking in school history. Uh, So I'm really excited to to see them. They've got a great running back, Sincere McCormick, who's a lot of fun to watch. And uh, Louisiana Tech has been, had some really close games this year as well. They lost to Mississippi State by one point. Uh, They lost to SMU, who's undefeated, or or I can't remember if they're still undefeated, but they they are still undefeated. Um. And they lost to SMU 39-37 on a Hail Mary at the end of the game. So uh, they're an interesting team. I feel like they're better than their record. So uh, that's going to be a really fun game in Ruston. It's going to be on Stadium. If you want to tune in, you can you can find their app on Roku or on your phone or whatever. The Stadium Network app. That's wonderful. That SMU loss, that was the like the ricochet Hail Mary, like Tanner Mordecai hurled it 40 yards and it bounced twice like in the air. 
yeah, the, the tip tail Mary with, with Tanner Mordecai, I, I can't remember who caught it, but yeah, I'm in the process of rewatching that game right now. So Louisiana tech, yeah, has had some, some crazy losses. So they're, they're due for some better luck. I remember seeing that ending and almost like dropping my drink. I was in Oklahoma city. I was like, wow, that's something else. All right, Pat, people want to follow your work. Where can they find you? Uh, check me out on Twitter at Pat Murray sports. Uh, that's probably where I'm posting most things these days. And then I'm also uh, doing a lot of games for whether it's stadium or ESPN plus or on FIU uh, on the radio. So just check my Twitter. And uh, usually I'm tweeting about whatever game I'm, I'm doing that week. All right, Pat, I'll trek down to South Florida sometime soon to be in Miami. Always a good time. And thank you so much for joining being the first guest on this podcast. Yeah, I'm honored to be the first guest. Can't wait to see where it goes. When I think of my next guest, the first word that comes to mind is fabulous. She's an excellent journalist. She's overcome a lot to get where she's gotten today. You might remember her from her stints in Binghamton, New York, and in Rochester, where she covered the Buffalo Bills. These days, she's on to bigger and better things. The newest member of the Indiana sports media. She's a sports anchor and reporter at CBS4 in Indianapolis, WTTV. Covers the NFL's Colts, the Pacers of the NBA, Indiana Fever of the WNBA, IU. And if that weren't impressive enough, she hosts the Flyers Nation show with Alexa Ross, where she connects with hundreds of thousands of NHL fans, covering her hometown Philadelphia Flyers. Alexa Ross, how are you? That was a great intro. Can I use that for everything? <laughs> I'm I'm great. You know, I think that being able to get an intro like that, it really pumps up, pumps up your day. I just came off of a great, got to watch a great Colts win in person. So I am over the moon right now. I'm doing great. Yes, that was your first experience inside Lucas Oil Stadium covering a game. How would you describe that atmosphere? Electric. I think the thing about Lucas Oil, especially you know, it's a dome stadium that can open and not only can the top open, there's a side window thing that kind of looks like a garage. And so it was 66 degrees. It was sunny. It was a beautiful day for football. And so obviously the roof and the window were open. And so being able to be there and watch it just be full of people to have, you know, the sun shining in, in that way, it was super, super cool. Obviously, anytime you get to watch a divisional game, it's exciting and it's even more exciting when it's one of the worst teams in the AFC South. I can't say that it's the worst team in the AFC South when the Jaguars exist, but uh, no, it was incredible. And I think that it was a game that the Colts really needed both as a team, but also the fan base needed. I mean, especially coming off of a four game road trip, you know, you want to get back and feel the energy and feel the people. And I think everybody was super amped. Everybody was pumped to be there and you could just tell, even with the glass down on the press box, you could just hear the noise, and it was awesome. It resulted in a 31-3 beatdown of the Houston Texans. The Colts coming into this season, I think most everyone thought they were a playoff team. They get off to that really slow 0-3 start. But like you said, you're starting to see signs of a turnaround. Where is that turning around most prevalent? I think it starts with the fact that they're getting healthy. You know, they got T.Y. Hilton back on Sunday, which is huge. He is he, the Colts record without him is astounding. I think it's like two and 14 in games he has not played. So getting him back obviously brings a lot of energy and the rest of the team gets super into that. Carson is obviously getting healthier 
And, you know, he goes into training camp, he practices for about a week and then has to get surgery on his foot. That then becomes the COVID list situation in which he was only on it for a couple of days. So I assume that he didn't test positive. It was a close contact. Uh, as you know, with any of these COVID lists, it doesn't mean you test positive. It just means that you might have been in close contact with somebody. So I think that's probably what happened. And then against the Titans, he sprains both of his ankles on two different plays, which is insane and honestly kind of impressive because how do you sprain both of your ankles? But he did. And the fact that he played the following week is unbelievable. I'm genuinely shocked that Frank Reich put him back in there to play. Should he have played or should he have sat? I don't know. Should he have played against Miami? It could go either way. I think that the decision to play him was probably in the fact that Frank Reich, having coached Carson in Philadelphia, understands the way he rehabs and the way that he bounces back. I also think had he not practiced that Friday beforehand, he would not have played. I think they would have sat him. I don't think he would have gone to IR. I don't think it was that serious. But I do think that that makes that a little bit easier. Now, play calling can be more aggressive. They can really kind of settle into the offense with T.Y. back, with Carson feeling like he can, you know, be a part of chunk plays, really, you know, throw it down the field, trust his receivers. And not only that, you really get to vary up your offense. Jonathan Taylor is obviously, you know, he's, we all know what Jonathan Taylor can do. The longest run in the NFL so far this season was his 82-yard run yesterday, which didn't result in a touchdown, which, again, is insane. But, you know, the fact that he is he's cooking, he looks great, but you don't have to rely on him. I think that's really a huge part of the variability in the Colts offense. Offensive line is getting healthier. You're seeing different people sub in at different positions. Matt Pryor is currently in at right tackle. He took 100% of the snaps yesterday, and he looked really good. He obviously being an acquisition from the Eagles as well. It's a very interesting dynamic that this Colts team has when you have Darius Leonard who leads linebackers in horse fumbles and you have guys who are really able to be aggressive. And I think that that was the biggest thing they were lacking early on is not that they were scared or playing scared, but because not everyone was back, they didn't feel comfortable being as aggressive as they could be. You started to see signs of it against the Ravens on Monday Night Football Obviously, that Ravens game, Frank Reich decided to call a run play instead of a pass play on third down, which resulted in a field goal, which could have been a touchdown, which obviously wouldn't have sent it to overtime and we'd be having a different conversation. That being said, their division helps. Being in the AFC South is very helpful. We'll see what happens with the Titans. Their schedule only gets harder. They have the Jaguars and they have the Texans and the Texans don't have their starting quarterback. And the Jaguars haven't won in North America yet. So there's that. So we will see how that plays out. But I think they're only going to, so long as everyone stays healthy and continues to trend in the right direction when it comes to health. I think they're, I think that they have the team that they thought they had going into the season. More reinforcements, more confidence, and they're not a part of that race to the bottom that Jacksonville and Houston seem to be doing. That is great. And you, you mentioned there are a few Eagles defectors that are now with Frank Reich there. You grew up a Philadelphia Eagles fan. You saw them win the Super Bowl. And you followed Carson Wentz now to Indianapolis. And you had a really good story the other day about how he made a very 
special fan, Giovanni, the podcaster, pretty much made his day there at Lucas Oil. Yeah, so Gio Hamilton, he's 14 years old. He has a rare genetic condition, and he's had 17 surgeries, the whole nine. He's from northeastern Pennsylvania. He's always been an Eagles fan. When Carson Wentz got there in 2016, he saw how Carson reacted to injury and was like, oh, he bounces back, and he keeps doing it, and I can keep doing it. So Carson quickly became his hero, and everyone knew it. And when he got traded, Gio was very open about being like, I'll always be your fan. Thank you for everything you did for me. He met him at training camp, the whole nine. Carson and his camp saw the, saw the video, invited him out to the AO1 camp. AO1 is Carson Wentz's foundation. And then invited him out for a weekend in Indianapolis. And it just so happened to be this weekend, which he could not have had a better game for. But Carson, you know, the foundation had him come out and he got to do fun things with the team and he got to, you know, throw touchdowns in the end zone and get pied by the mascot and the whole nine. And Carson came out pregame with a signed ball that basically said, Giovanni, you make me want to be a better man. God bless you. Like the whole thing, like you're an inspiration. And it just goes to show, you know, they say, don't meet your heroes. Sometimes that's true. I don't think that was true. That's been true for Gio. And I think that Carson still understanding that he ha- will always have this fan in Gio is it. I think that it's a very symbiotic relationship. I think that even if they're not, you know, talking all the time or seeing each other all the time, knowing that there's at least one person who's not related to you might not be a fan of your team and might not be, you know, super plugged into what the ins and outs of your day look like as somebody on a different team. I think that's something that can really keep you going. I asked Carson post game about having Gio there. And he was like, this reminds me of the big, the bigger picture and what we as athletes can do and the kind of role models we can be. So anytime you can see that and have those kinds of relationships, you know, it's just really sweet. Obviously I love affiliate to indie connection. I love being able to connect with that and kind of be a part of that. And so for me, I was super, super glad to, you know, be able to do that pregame and spend some time with him and his family. They actually said that they really liked it and it could be somewhere where they move. So fingers crossed, that'd be super cool. Uh, But it is a, you know, I think, I think people who come to Indianapolis, me, especially I've only been here a month, but I didn't really know what to expect. I've never lived further West of Western New York and I love it. It's a really cool city. There's a lot of stuff going on here. It's a great sports town, obviously. And yeah, I mean, and it's only getting started. The Colts are just the beginning of all of the, everything that it can touch. Right. I got one Pacers question for you, but I'm going to ask you one Eagles related thing. What is your argument for Jalen Hurts being the guy at QB1 for Philadelphia? It's funny you ask me this because I went into this season with no expectations. I was like, they could win, they could win the division or they could win like four games. Like it, and there's no in between with this team and this division and everything else. And I think that seeing the lapses in Jalen Hurts' play are also similar lapses to where Carson started to go wrong and where things were wrong there before he got benched and then eventually traded. And I think that's more of an organizational failing than it is a failing of Jalen Hurts. I don't think Jalen Hurts is a bad quarterback. I think I don't think Jalen Hurts is in the best situation to succeed. He's in a much better situation 
than Carson was having his college receiver in Devontae Smith there, you know, and every time they connect, it's electric and you can just tell that that chemistry is there, but I don't think he's built that with the rest of the offense. And I do think that's something that comes with time. And I think he's kind of in a situation where he's young. He's really had to inherit this responsibility and leadership role without really knowing necessarily how to do it. You sometimes see it with younger quarterbacks. You see it a lot with Tua in that you kind of step into a role with an older quarterback who's there as well, who can kind of be ahead of you or back you up or whatever. But, and then they leave and then you're put into it maybe sooner than you had anticipated. And I don't know if Jalen Hurts is fully there with himself yet. I don't know. Every time I see what he does or see, see his press conferences, I'm glad with the things that he says, but I don't know if he believes them himself. I don't know if he has the confidence in himself to lead an offense in that way. And I think that's why Josh Allen wasn't great. His first couple of years, he wasn't confident in himself to do that. And then, you know, he put in the work going into his third season and he had his MVP year last year, obviously. And I think it's like the fake it till you make it argument. And I could be completely off base. I really could, but I, there's something in me that says, Jalen isn't there yet. I do think he'll get there. I don't think it's a matter of uh, not getting there or not. I think that the Eagles could do more to help him like a solid offensive line for one thing. Uh, But I don't, I don't know. I don't know how this, I don't know how this goes. I don't know how the story ends. It's a new quarterback. It's a new coach. It's, I don't know. I don't know. And I think that that's going to be one of the fun storylines to see play out is like, are they just going to, you know, continue to fall or are they going to at least stay in that straight line and slowly get better? They don't have to be exponentially better. I don't think anyone expects them to be exponentially better. I don't think it's fair to ask that of them, but I think if you want him to be your future, you have to build around him. That was the problem with Carson and it will continue to be a problem if they don't realize that it's the quarterback that you must build around. Yeah. I covered Jalen for one season when he was at Oklahoma and he had this great reputation for, for the, the intangible leadership skills, the community service, the being there for his friends. Like he, he definitely had that X factor to him, but he also carried himself in this very intense, close to the vest, like grueling like nose to the grindstone manner and and i wonder kind of what you mentioned there's a there's a time there's an experience thing here like with kyler murray's first season josh allen from year one to year two it is getting those reps in until you finally make it so i think we're on to something here in terms of just you got to get the certain amount of reps before he really gets into a groove uh on the nba front Covering the Pacers, Rick Carlisle comes home as head coach. The great reunion, 538 has Indiana finishing sixth in the East, a 2% chance to make the finals. What are your expectations for this season? You know, I think anytime you have a new coach, it's one of those things where you're just like, ah, it could go however. I do think, though, Rick Carlisle is a guy who really values winning and understands what it means to win. He also understands what basketball means in Indiana. In his first press conference, he was like, if you want to learn how to play basketball and like be a great basketball player, 
without the distraction, Indianapolis is where you want to play. You want to play for the Pacers. You want to be an Indiana Pacer. And that really stuck with me because, you know, Indiana, it's in the terms of the media markets that there are NBA teams in middle to top, but the city itself is very, you know, the city itself, there aren't so, so many distractions. Basketball is life here. High school basketball, college basketball, obviously when you, when you have Hinkle Fieldhouse down the road and assembly hall an hour away, you know what I mean? So basketball in the state of Indiana is gigantic. And I think that knowing what can be done here, having Karis Levert healthy is going to be huge. I think he is going to be the X factor for sure. Malcolm Brogdon today signed a two-year extension that will guarantee him $89 million. So hopefully that, which will keep him through the 2025 season, will be something also that motivates him to play harder. And I think the thing is, when you look at the East as well, there is a lot of question marks with the way the East looks right now. And so long as you start, you start out strong and continue that, it's anybody's, it's anybody's game. And I think that's, what's really fun about it. And I think that, you know, anything can happen. You saw it last season. You saw what happened. You saw what the Eastern conference final looked like. And I don't even want to talk about it because it's going to piss me off again, but who would have thought that those were the two teams that went in? I am happy that the bucks won it. Although I, you know, that is a great thing to see, to see us uh, in air quotes, smaller market team win, but and that was a cool thing, too, with um, the Holiday Brothers talking about being there and winning and watching your brothers win and things like that. You know, those are things you love to see. That's what makes sports fun. But when you have the Pacers and you have the Fever, the Fever finished on the bottom two of the WNBA. So I'm interested to see how they pick. I'm interested to see what they can do with, you know, with their draft picks and how everything is going to play out this offseason. We have... As of right now, I think another hour and a half for extensions to be signed. So I'd be interested to see if anything else comes out. Um, but the, the lack of signing for big, big name people shows that Rick Carlisle at least believes in what they have and that they have the pieces to be really great. And I think when you have a coach who is on the same plate page as his players and, you know, controls his locker room, I think that there's you know, the sky's the limit for that. And I do think that that might be the, I think Rick Carlisle has the power, not the power, but I think that he has the ability to make these guys be really invested as they move into the season. So long as everyone's healthy, there are a couple injuries that people are overcoming, but you know, that, you know how it is that happens and they don't always last forever. Yeah, hope to get Warren back soon off that foot injury. You got Sabonis and Brogdon. It's a good, it's a good group. All right, I'm a sports fan across the country. I just found out about Alexa Ross, and now I am a huge fan. Where do I find your work? You can find me at Alexa Ross TV on Twitter, where you will find snarky sports commentary as well as news about Indiana professional and college sports. Um, you'll get some, you'll get some Philadelphia stuff sprinkled in there. Um, you can catch me on the Flyers Nation show um, that is on Instagram, on the Flyers Nation Instagram. If you want to follow me on Instagram, it's just Alexa Ross. And yeah, my work is on both the Fox 59 and CBS4 accounts. And 
yeah, follow along. We, we do some cool stuff around here every so often. Alexa, thank you so much for your time. Thank you for joining Raw Tools. Thank you for having me. And that was the podcast. Thank you so much to Patrick Murray and Alexa Ross for coming on. Shout out to Tyler Jones and the studio Soapbox Network. Thank you to Gentry Williams for coming on the Jones Report Thursday. Committed to the Oklahoma Sooners on Monday. See you next week.